So speaking of uh, Donald Trump, we've got a few minutes left. So apparently this conversation, uh, the details of this conversation came out. There was a, a meeting with uh, Republican donors at uh, Mar-a-Lago. This is the new Camp David uh, down in uh, Broward County, Florida, I think. But uh, Donald Trump said uh, General Suleimani was saying bad things before he was assassinated. So what what Trump's inferring here is that they took out Suleimani because he was saying bad things, really bad things, lots of bad things. So the president told the donors recently, I think it was on Friday evening, that Suleimani was saying bad things before the U.S. Uh, killed him. So this was uh, audio that was uh, leaked to the press. Here's, I'm going to quote here. I'm going to, I'm quoting, I believe I'm quoting uh, President Trump here. Let's, uh, let's see. Yes, I believe I'm according to this transcript. So this is not me saying these profane, profane words. How much of this shit do we have to listen to? How much are we going to listen to? Trump said of Suleimani, uh, which Donald Trump and the White House deemed to be an imminent threat. That was their absolute insistence uh, after the attack took place. That was their justification. It turns out the defense secretary and others, even the president now has admitted there was no imminent threat. There was no imminent threat. Uh, but there didn't need to be an imminent threat because it was just a general threat. So they had to walk back the imminent part and uh, called uh, Suleimani a, note, a noted terrorist, according to the president, Mike Pompeo, and the others. That's actually patently false, not even close to being true. In fact, it's the opposite. Iran's General Suleimani was fighting ISIS, even with the United States, and also, I uh, believe, fighting al-Qaeda in Afghanistan with U.S. forces as well in, in previous years. So clearly not a terrorist. And, quote, was down was down on our list and uh, was supposedly supposed to be in his country uh, before he uh, went to Iraq to meet the prime minister, at which point he was uh, assassinated by the U.S. government. He was supposed to be invincible, Bragg Trump, to his uh, Republican donors. So the president's uh, grandstanding a little bit to his donors, and you can see the power going to this man's head. How is this sustainable? Can, how many lies can the U.S. Uh, tell? Can the White House tell? Can the government tell? How many lies can they tell to support the mythology and to just to keep back, to keep ramming it home? In fact, just more over-the-top comments, one after the other. Is this sustainable? Is this really, is this really sustainable? I don't think so. I don't think so. This, this is absolutely an indication of an empire in decline right now. I'm sad to say it. But uh, if anybody's going to be the man, <laughs> so it's it's Nero, Emperor Nero, and uh, Rome is uh, proverbially uh, burning, metaphorically speaking, and uh, the president is there at Mar-a-Lago. Where does that leave the uh, the relationship with Iran? Well, the the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal. This is where things went south. Uh, the United States unilaterally withdrew from this agreement uh, back in May of 2018. And this last week, the Europeans, apparently under pressure from Washington, have put the uh, final nail in any chance of rescuing the Iran nuclear deal. 
they have uh, invoked the uh, dispute resolution mechanism via the UN Security Council, which means uh, that uh, apparently Iran backed away from its commitments after the U.S. backed off. And not only that, Iran gave the Europeans a chance to uh, find a way to go around economic sanctions so that uh, Iran could trade and do commerce with Europe, and they, of course, didn't do it under threats of sanctions from the U.S. So what have we learned from this? Well, we learned that the United States uh, and the economic warfare tools that it has are actually quite effective, more effective with their allies than they are with their enemies. But, of course, we've told you that on the show before because that's basic game theory, uh, something that, uh, well, the United States still believes that they can somehow coax Iran back to the negotiation table, but I don't think that's going to happen. But here's where things get even more dangerous. Uh, Tehran has also said it's going to review its cooperation with the global nuclear watchdog, the International Atomic Energy Agency. Now, this is dangerous. They have been cooperating and complying with the International Atomic Energy Agency uh, since the beginning of this process. In fact, they've always been in compliance with the JCPOA deal, even after the U.S. unilaterally withdrew from the deal that Trump said it's the worst deal ever. He actually never read it, I can guarantee you that. So it's all, this is all predicated on the myth that Iran is secretly developing nuclear weapons. But there's no evidence to even give a hint that that might even be possible. There never has been. But Iran's played the game, much like Libya played the game. And look what happened to Libya. Well, this is the next phase is, is dangerous. What, what, what is the aim here from, from the U.S.? Now, Iran's going to continue its enrichment. Uh, and by threatening to back away from the International Atomic Energy Agency's oversight on this, uh, the, what they're f- effectively doing is, is, is the art of the deal. And they're, they're creating leverage. And uh, in, in much the same way that Kim Jong-un in North Korea has done with the U.S. very successfully. Now, if you've ever tried to do a deal or bargain in an Iranian market, which I have, it's a lot tougher than bargaining in New York City, where Donald Trump is from. So in terms of art of the deal, in this case, it's very, and by the way, I would say the same thing about uh, China as well, much tougher to do deals sometimes than, than in New York City. So they might be able to out-Trump Trump uh, in this uh, art of the deal scenario. Uh, I don't think Washington really understands the full scope of this uh, because they're only looking ahead 12 months to the next election. The Iranians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, they're looking ahead 100 years. This is the difference uh, between these two. And I think that's, that bears out in the behavior of Washington. You look at the decisions that are being made by Iran and China in these various negotiations. But what the U.S. is trying to do is they're try- they want to rescind this agreement. And then they want to do a new JCPOA-type deal, but it'll be a U.S.-led deal that everybody will have to comply with under threats of sanctions. I'm not kidding. This is how it's going. This is how it's going to go. And it's going to include, not really, it's going to include the nuclear part. But that's not really what the U.S. is interested in. Because between you and I and everybody else and the, and the lamppost and the tree, uh, even the CIA know that there is no 
Iranian nuclear weapons program. And various CIA intelligence assessments have said exactly that. You can go back and read them if you, if you don't believe me. So a lot of this is just fronting. It's fronting for Israel. Why? Because what they want to include in this next deal, more importantly, is intermediate-range missiles. So this is one of the reasons why the U.S. pulled out of the INF Treaty with Russia. This is one of the reasons why they're derelict on the ABM, Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. They want to, and, and why they tore up the JCPOA agreement. They want to bundle all of these things together with Russia, throw Iran in the mix, bring China in the mix, and somehow configure something in the, for the Middle East whereby Iran will not have the ability to defend itself uh, and it won't be, have the ability to strike at targets within a certain radius. Okay, It's not about nukes. It's about conventional defense. And uh, if anything, this is what was demonstrated a couple of weeks ago when Iran hit two U.S. bases incredibly accurately and quite powerfully, and the United States did not respond because, in fact, it couldn't respond. It wasn't ready to respond. It didn't know what to do. Neither did its allies in the region. So in a way, that's uh, not quite checkmate, but it's pretty close. Uh, so th what they want to do is create a crisis in the international community, the U.S., and I think they're pushing Iran to enrich. They want them to enrich more uranium to then give more credence to the conspiracy theory that they're developing a nuclear weapon, and then to create an international crisis, a major standoff, and that sets the, uh, the groundwork for some potential uh, magical intelligence that the Israelis will produce that says Iran has a bomb, and God forbid the worst of all possible outcomes is that uh, somebody uh, creates a false flag situation. And especially if it's a radiological false flag, that would be even worse. But that would set a new 9-11 cycle in motion that would last 20 to 50 years and would, uh, would basically impart a, uh, a new sort of world order. Uh, it would be resetting the 9-11 clock once again. That was the global war on terror. Uh, but some sort of major catastrophic incident like this, especially if it was on U.S. soil, uh, would really reset that whole process for a, a further 50 years, possibly. Maybe more. And would create a, a new Cold War, effectively, at that point. Now, are they crazy enough to... Uh, is the Project for New American Century crowd crazy enough to go that far? Is Israel crazy enough to want to push the world to the brink of, of that crisis? Uh, that's a question that nobody quite knows the answer to yet. But uh, right now... It looks like things are heading in a very bad direction uh, if the U.S. and its allies continue down this current path. That's what we're seeing, and uh, that's uh, more or less uh, the analysis uh, that's hinted at by a number of other leading uh, analysts uh, who are out there commenting on this uh, story right now. So very dangerous, in fact, very dangerous, but... These are the things we have to uh, come to grips with because what we just saw over the last three weeks, uh, this is not, the U.S. is not acting like a rational actor. Uh, they are acting like a, the, an, an empire that's in its death throes. This is how Washington is acting right now. It's trying some crazy 
tactics uh, in order to create leverage in a situation, uh, quite frankly, leverage that's not there. Leverage that's not there. And this can only lead to potentially negative consequences for everybody involved. And the closer we get to the election, uh, and we have two, you know, two administrations under fire uh, for various reasons in Washington, uh, but also in Tel Aviv, uh, Net- the Netanyahu and Trump regimes are both very desperate uh, and both uh, worried about staying in power. And uh, power is a very intoxicating thing as we, as we are learning once again from this story. So we're going to take a short break and we are going to connect with a very special guest on the other side, uh, Sammy Ramadani. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. I'm sure we're going to learn a lot with our guest on the other side, talking about Iraq, Iran, the Middle East, and where things are headed. What is the future of the U.S. empire? How, what, what is the power behind the throne? Uh, can, it, uh, can it sustain itself going forward? We'll answer all of those questions after this break. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is the Sunday Wire. We'll be right back. <laughs> 